The following program is intended for mature audiences. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Let's talk football. Let's talk football. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. There's been a lot of complaints already. Bad language, smoking grass. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Welcome back to the much-anticipated re-emergence of the Intentional Foul podcast. I'm your host, Dan Saunders, flying solo once again, and uh, it's been a while. I've I've, uh, I've taken a little grief from some of you guys uh, that have been wondering what's going on with the podcast, are we still doing it or whatnot. Uh, I'm still doing it. Uh, I'll be the first to admit I've been slacking a little bit, but... Um, you know, I've been doing some things on the side to kind of hopefully spice things up a little bit, change up the format a little bit, and, uh, you know, hopefully you guys will give me a little feedback on on how I'm doing. And, you know, we're kind of in the dog days of summer here with the NBA Finals just ending. There's not a lot going on. So uh, you may have to bear with me through some stuff. You know, Josh isn't a big list guy or – or uh, greatest of all time guy or any of that kind of stuff but I'm, I'm kind of into some of that um so i think in uh in some future episodes we may uh we may delve into that a little bit but we got a lot to cover it's been a while like i said so let's let's get right into it uh the finals just ended the other day somehow the toronto raptors are the nba champions um not quite sure how that happened just a really odd, odd year in the NBA, all the way around from LeBron not even making the playoffs um, to the Bucks winning 60 games and being the number one seed in the East uh, to all the injuries the Warriors end up having and uh, the Rockets kind of imploding. So it, it's just one of those things for, for the Raptors. Everything kind of had to go right for them. You know, if you play, if you go back to April 15th, when the playoffs start and you, you, you re replay out the playoffs a hundred times in a simulation, uh, the Raptors probably win it once. And this is how they win it. You know, they, they play a bad Orlando team in the first round, get through in five games. You know, they, they're, they're down two one against Philly in round two and Embiid gets hurt, gets sick, misses a game. Um, Philly blows an opportunity to close him out in game six in Philadelphia. Uh, Kawhi stepped up in the first of many critical uh, instances and produces. You get to game seven. Everybody on Toronto not named Kawhi Leonard is crapping their pants on the floor. Nobody wants to shoot the ball. Kawhi ends up shooting 39 times, hits a shot at the buzzer, over two seven-footers flying at him in the corner. Hits the rim eight times and goes in. Down 2 nothing to the Bucks, Losing in overtime of game three. Kyle Lowry fouls out. Somehow they win that game. Go on a tear. Win the next four against the Bucks, And then you've got the debacle in the finals. Where Golden State just basically had too many injuries. Um, you know, it... it, it People talk about an asterisk next to Toronto's title or whatever. I don't. I don't buy that. I mean, it is what it is. They won, uh, but it is one of those championships you're going to look back in in ten years and go, eh. yeah, not not a not a real impressive victory in the finals over a a team that was so beat up. Um, you know, they had over seventy five points from their starters not on the floor at the end of Game Six. So, you know, and that happens, you know, going to five straight finals for Golden State, it's taken its toll. Um, you know, there's been some roster turnover and there's some aging. You know, Andre Iguodala is five years older than he was when he won the finals MVP in 2015. Um, you know, he's always hurt. Durant, obviously, with the calf thing and then tearing his uh, Achilles. Clay Thompson uh, missing a game with a sprained knee and then tearing his ACL or sprained, a strained hamstring and then tearing his ACL in game six. I mean, I, 
I've never really seen anything quite like that in a, in a series, certainly in NBA finals. I mean, the closest one I can think of was uh, in 89 Lakers Pistons and Magic Johnson and Byron Scott both get hurt in game one and the Pistons go on to sweep the series. Other than that, uh, you know, I don't know. You, you may, maybe in a different sport, but certainly not in the NBA. Um, but one of the things that this kind of brings up, and it's something that I'm not a fan of, but, you know, I think inevitably you're just going to have to get on board with it, is the, the, uh, the rest issue in the NBA. You know, games played, um, nobody, none of these stars are going to be playing 80, 82 games anymore. I think Bucks fans need to prepare themselves with, with Giannis. He's going to play 70 to 75 games um, for the next several years. Because there's really no point in extending these guys if, you know, if the data and the science is telling the doctors and the medical staffs that the wear and tear is causing these injuries, especially late in the season. And we've seen it in the last several playoff seasons. Kyrie Irving breaking a kneecap. Kevin Love separating shoulders. Uh, Russell Westbrook tore a knee ligament. Um, you know, the injuries of this year. Derrick Rose blowing his knee out a couple years ago. Um, all that stuff took place in the playoffs. And, you know, some of it's fluky. Um but, you know, Kawhi Leonard played 60 games this year. If he plays 80 games, the Bucks probably don't get the one seed. Toronto probably gets the one seed by a lot. Um, but they were willing to give that up so that they would have a relatively healthy Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs when it mattered the most, and it worked out for him. So it's something that's going to be uh, in the forefront of the league for the next couple of years. Just, you know, going to be interesting to see how this kind of plays out. Um. But, you know, back to the Raptors and, and this title, you know, I hate to use the word fluky. I mean, you still got to win 16 games in the playoffs to win an NBA title. But it's just, and this happens every few years in the NBA, you know, when a dynasty is kind of on its last leg, but they can still get to the finals, but they just don't have enough to close the deal. Um, you know, the two that pop out to me in basketball are the 0-4 Pistons, you know, going up against the last season of Shaq and Kobe, Carl uh, Malone was, was hurt. Gary Payton was broken down. You know, they, they had no bench. They're playing Slava Medvedenko. Yeah, exactly. Who, who the hell is that? They run into a hot piston team with the Wallace boys, Billups, Hamilton, and Prince. And then the 2011 Mavs with Dirk, you know, I mean, it was just kind of the perfect storm. Dallas team was hot. They played a Miami team that had no bench and, and, hadn't really been in that situation together and they, and they pulled it out. So um, a lot more prevalent in baseball. You know, the two that really popped out to me were the old three Marlins with, uh, you know, a bunch of early 20 year old Josh Beckett and Brad Penny, Miguel Cabrera. Um, and then the old five White Sox who, you know, kind of came out of nowhere after winning like 70 games in 2004, they win like 96 and go on and sweep the world series. So, it happens. Um, you know, one of the interesting things when, whenever you get to these these championship rounds is it kind of becomes an issue of legacy and, and you know, where, where does a certain player rank in the hierarchy of the all-time greats? And, um, you know, the two guys this year that it was the most talked about was Kawhi Leonard and, and Steph Curry. And, you know, Kawhi did nothing but to up his legacy. Uh, but it, it's going to be interesting how his career plays out. You know, does he stay in Toronto? Does he leave? Um, there's still a lot of people that believe he quit on the Spurs last year, only playing nine games with a, you know, some form of a, a leg injury that he believed was misdiagnosed. Uh, but the Steph Curry one's interesting. You know, Magic Johnson came out a couple weeks ago and said he's the second best point guard of all time. All right, no, I'm sorry. Andre Iguodala came out and said he was the second best point guard of all time behind Magic Johnson. Um, I, I'm not ready to go that far. As great as Steph is, he's the greatest shooter of all time. He's he's literally changed the game. Um, I, I'm not sure I put him over guys like Oscar Robertson and, and Isaiah Thomas, the original Isaiah Thomas. Um, you know, getting to five finals is a hell of an accomplishment, but he's had a lot of help. And uh, in some of these situations, like in 2015, 2016, and this year, he's not played well in the finals. 
You know, he's been to five finals, won three titles, and has not come away with a finals MVP before. Um, so I don't know. I'll leave that up to you to kind of decide where he falls. And, the, you know, the thing with these guys, and it's kind of the same thing with LeBron, it's like, can we just let their career play out, let them finish and before we kind of figure out where these guys rank? Because so much stuff can happen. You know, Steph Curry could get hurt. He could blow his knee out next year, blow his Achilles out like Durant and miss two years and never be the same. Who knows? Who knows? So, but let's get back to what really matters. Let's go. Let's let's go back to the Buck series a little bit, briefly. Um, what happened? Now you're up 2-0. You blow Toronto out of the gym in Game Two. You're feeling good. You go up for Game Three. Giannis plays the worst game of the of his season. Um, somehow, you make it into overtime. Kyle Lowry falls out of the game, and you can't close the deal. And after that, it basically was a free-for-all for some of these guys on Toronto playing out of their minds. Um, but really, experience and heart won out to me. I, th- I just saw Toronto, you know, they're an older team with some older guys, Gasol, Ibaka, Danny Green, Kyle Lowry, uh, even Kawhi. Like, you know, these guys have been around. They've been in They've been in finals, Western Conference finals. You know, Kawhi Leonard's won a title. Danny Green's won a title. Mark Gasol, I mean, the guys played in gold medal games. So, I mean, the, the experience that those guys had when you compare it to the Bucks in those kind of situations, it was it was very glaring down the stretch. Um, just so many hustle plays and second shots Toronto got. Bucks just really could not finish off plays defensively. And, um, you know, Bucks made too many mistakes. Too many mistakes. And um, I think the most frustrating part for me was – was watching the the stubbornness of the Bucks and their unwillingness to adjust. Uh, I thought, especially defensively, there was a lot of opportunities to to do things differently. They kept running two guys at Kawhi and leaving shooters open. They kept overhelping, um, way too much switching on in the perimeter. Getting, I mean, if I had to see Brooke Lopez try to guard Kyle Lowry twenty five feet from the hoop again anymore, I was going to scream. You know, you can get pissed off at Brooke Lopez because Lowry's raining threes over him, but it's like, what's he supposed to do? If he gets up on him, he's just going to get burned, and now you're in a bad position and everybody else is scrambling. Or if you lay off him, he's shooting over the top. So they never really could figure that out. And, you know, this is where coaching does come in. And Budenholzer's a very good coach. And, you know, he's had his problems in the playoffs, though. And it's, it's one of those things that as a Buck fan, you kind of got to look at it with a little bit of a critical eye and say, okay, well, you know, you made a nice move in the Boston series, inserting Meritich into the starting lineup. You know, that was a big deal. Um, but in the Toronto series, it didn't seem like the Bucks really adjusted. Um, you know, Giannis, uh, Giannis has got to play better. He had a, he had a solid series. Um, not great. His shooting was... Uh, leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, his free throw shooting was terrible, especially on the road. It, it seemed like, I think it was game four, he shot a couple of air balls, and it really got into his head, which is disappointing. You, you would think that he would he would be able to fight through that, but for whatever reason, he just couldn't. But, you know, it, it boils down to, again, experience. And... This is the farthest that Giannis had ever been in the playoffs, and every round you get, it gets tougher. And Toronto is a very, very good defensive team. And I don't care who you are and what level of basketball you play, if you just take the ball at the top of the key and try to dribble into four guys and score, you're going to have a long day. It's just it's too hard. Nobody's that good. And... You know, he, he did try to do the right thing and make the right play and drive in and kick. And one of the things about Giannis, you know, he gets a lot of credit for being a, a really good passer. And and he is in a sense of he's he's willing to give it up when he's doubled. He doesn't force things. And, you know, he, he likes to play make for other guys. But, you know, one thing, if you've ever played point guard that you know, is it's not as much about making the pass. It's about making a good pass. You know, a lot of times Giannis will kick the ball out and he's throwing it at a guy's feet. 
or he's throwing it to their right where they got to reach for the ball. You know, when you're a shooter and you're on the perimeter and you're trying to set up and a guy's kicking it to you, you want it in your shooting pocket so you can go right up with it, especially the playoffs. You've got no space. You know, there's no time to sit there and line it up. you got to catch it and fire. You know, and when you have to bend down and catch it at your feet, especially a guy like Lopez, who moves in slow motion anyway, you know, it gives the defense way, way, way too much time to recover. So it'll be a long summer for, for all the Bucs, especially Giannis, um, you know, but uh, a, a lot of positives to take out as well, um, you know, we're kind of in year one, in my opinion, of what I look at as like a seven-year window to to win a title. Um, and with the Bucks, I firmly believe if they're ever going to win a title, it's going to be a title. It's not going to be multiple titles. Uh, it's going to have to have something like what Toronto just did, where everything kind of falls their way. Um, the Bucks, you know, in markets like Milwaukee, you're just not going to be able to build a dynasty, most likely. It could happen, but probably not. Um, Giannis is under contract. Uh, next year and the following year, but he is eligible next summer for the Supermax extension, uh, which is five years, $250 million. I will be absolutely shocked if he does not sign that on the first day he is eligible to sign it. Uh, the Bucks obviously will offer it to him, and I just don't see him turning down a quarter of a billion dollars at age, what, 25? I, I, I don't know. He's got a pretty good Milwaukee. Um, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's looking for greener pastures or, or bigger markets. So if he signs a five-year extension, that gives us next year and another five years um, to uh, to have a chance that gets Giannis to, I think he's, he'd be 31 when that contract expired, which is usually kind of the end of, of most guys' primes or the beginning of the end of their prime. So we're, we're kind of just entering the, the era of, of greatness for Giannis and, uh, and hopefully the Bucks as well. Um, so that begs the question, who, who's, who's back next year? Um, yesterday, Chris Middleton opted out of his, uh, contract. He had one year player option, 13 million. Uh, he opted out of that. He's eligible for the max extension, five year, 190 million, or he can go out on the open market and I believe he can get four year, 140 million. Um, so pretty big difference whether he stays or goes. I'm. It, it certainly sounds like he's all but signed, sealed, and back. I'm, I'm not sure if he'll get the full, full max. He might – I think he'll get the five-year, but maybe a little bit less money, um, you know, just uh, just for some cap relief. Maybe not. Maybe he maybe he demands the full. I'm not sure. Uh, but I do think Chris Middleton will be back in a Bucks uniform. Um Malcolm Brogdon's a little bit more questionable. He really hasn't made any money in the NBA yet as a second-round pick. I think uh, he's made probably a total of $3.5, $4 million in his first three years. So he's going to be looking to get, get paid, and rightfully so. Um, he's restricted free agent. Um, so any team can offer him a contract, and the Bucks have two days to match. Um, I can't see anybody – you know, somebody would have to really – really overpay him, I think, to, for the Bucks to lose him. I think if somebody offered four years, $60 million to him, that's about as high as the Bucks would and probably should go. You know, you've got Bledsoe on the hook for the next four years at $17 million. I don't know that you can have a, a $32 million backcourt of Brogdon and Bledsoe. I just – and then throw another $30 million of Middleton on there and $50 million of Giannis on there. I mean, that's you, – you, you really hamstring yourself cap-wise. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I think Brogdon's a guy you'd like to have back, but um, if he ended up being a guy that moved on, I, I think you could find some people to, to replace him. Um, Brooke Lopez, I think Bucks are going to do everything in their power to bring him back. Um, he made $3.4 million in this last season. He's going to get a significant raise. I figure he'll probably be – I mean, I think you'd like to get him in maybe that 10 to $12 million range, maybe a two-, three-year deal. Um, but again, a team like the Lakers, where he played the season before, um, he's kind of the perfect guy next to Anthony Davis and uh, and LeBron. So if the Lakers can free up a little bit of cap money, that might be a guy that they go after. So um, I think there's a better chance than not that all three are back. I really do. I think the Bucks are pretty committed to bringing this team back um, pretty much intact. 
George Hill's got an, a million dollar buyout, which the Bucks will take um, and sign him for less money. He was scheduled to make 18 million this year, which is obviously way too much. Uh, but I think there's a good chance he's back. Miritich, Pau Gasol, I think both those guys are gone. Um, you know, I, I think with Miritich, him and Ursan ended up being a little bit redundant. And uh, Ursan's definitely a better defensive player and, and and is obviously much, much less cost as well. Um, I just saw tonight the Bucks have traded Tony Snell and the 30th pick to Detroit for John Luer. Um Lure is an expiring contract, makes about nine and a half million this year. Snell was due eleven this year and eleven next year. So Bucks get a little cap relief for next year uh, to free up a little bit more money for Giannis, I'm assuming, um, and save themselves about four million bucks this year. You've got the million and a half on the contracts, and then the uh, the thirtieth pick would be guaranteed money. Uh, all first round picks are guaranteed and count against next season's cap. So uh, that saves them a little cash this year. Not a lot, but um, gives them a little flexibility down the road. I'd be surprised if John Luer is on the roster when camp opens. Um, they could flip him for a second-round pick uh, or, or just outright wave him. So, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where free agency and the draft wrap up. Um, you know, Bucks just gave John Horst a nice three-year extension. He certainly earned that. Uh, I think he's probably going to be executive of the year in the NBA this year. So that's well-deserved. Uh, Bucks did lose an assistant coach, Taylor Jenkins. He took the head coaching job in Memphis. And uh, Memphis today traded Mike Conley to Utah for uh, a package of guys and, and some picks. So um, the John Morant era will begin in earnest tomorrow night in the NBA draft. He will certainly go number two after the Pelicans pick Zion at one. I'm not going to get too much into the draft. I don't really pay too much attention to that stuff. Um, I don't watch enough college basketball anymore to really know other than the top two or three guys. So we'll just skip that. Um, obviously the biggest news in the NBA has been the Anthony Davis trade. You know, uh, Lakers gave up the farm. Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and four picks for Anthony Davis. I can't remember ever seeing any player bring back that kind of a haul. I mean, that's a potential seven guys for Anthony Davis. I think it's a great trade for the Pelicans. I think Lonzo Ball getting out of L.A. and going to a team a little bit under the radar and just letting him play and also getting to play with Zion, I think that could be a really, really fun team to watch for years to come. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just kind of another LeBron power play in a series of many power plays. It's just what this dude does. Um, he's done it his whole career. He's done it with coaches. He's done it with players. He's done it with teams, organizations. Um so this is just kind of par for the course. Uh, I'm sure everybody's kind of talked out, talked to death of the LeBron and the Lakers. I know I sure am. So that's about all I'm going to say about that one. Let's wake water for the working man. All right, let's move on to the Brew Crew. Interesting team this year. Interesting team. Kind of home run or bust with these guys. Um, Brewers 40 and 34 sitting in second, uh, half game behind the Cubs. Just coming off a three game sweep, uh, from San Diego where they, uh, they blew another late one today. They're three and nine in California so far this year and playing the Dodgers, the Giants, the Angels, and now the Padres three and nine in California. That's, that's not good. Thank God they ain't got to go back there again. That's it. Um, the weird thing about this team, I mean, you know, to be 40 and 34, it's not an over, you know, really overwhelming record or anything like that to get too excited about. Um, but the Brewers really have not been hot. They had a six-game win streak, like basically the first week of the season. They had a seven-game winning streak the first week of May. Um, but, you know, they really haven't put much together in the last five, six weeks. You know, it's kind of been win two, lose one. Win one, lose two, win three, lose two. So it's kind of been all over the board, and, and really the main culprit for that has been they just can't seem to get Aguiar, Shaw, and even Lorenzo Cain going much. Um, Aguiar and Shaw have just continued to be abysmal, especially Shaw. I mean, I was watching the game the other night, and he got up with two outs in the ninth inning, and it looked like he was trying to swing a telephone pole. I mean, he had no chance at the plate. 
ends up taking a strike three call and, and totally knew it and just had nothing. So I don't know what they're going to do there with those two guys. I think, you know, Aguiar has no minor league options. So basically, you know, if you, if you try to send him down, somebody's going to claim him. And I'm not sure they're prepared to lose him. Shaw does have one option left, but I'm not sure Shaw is mentally strong enough to handle that kind of a demotion. You know, last time it was under the guise of a of an injury. I'm not sure just outright sending him down there. You you know you may lose him. And I know everybody wants to bring up Keston Wera, but I still think you're going to need guys like Aguirre and Shaw down the stretch. And Lorenzo Kane, he just kind of has looked old this year. He's banged up. You know, he's always running in the wall. He runs out every ground ball. He's grabbing his hamstring and his shoulders sore. And, you know, he's just, he's just looked old this year. Um, I wouldn't mind to see uh, maybe a little more gamble in center. Um, you know, maybe even a little more Yelich in center if you want to throw Hernan Perez in right field. I mean, in an absolute pinch, you could even throw Thames out there, even though that is an absolute gong show every time he's in right field. Good God. But on the bright side, Moose and Yelich have been unbelievable. And, and you can throw Grandal in there as well. I mean, those three guys have really carried the offense. Um, all three should be all-stars, and, and I believe will be. Um, you know, you just can't say enough. Yelich hit his 27th homer today. I think Grandal hit his 16th today, most for any catcher in baseball. So um, those guys are certainly doing the job. You know, and, uh, for all the people that were that were bitching in the in the winter about giving twenty million to Grandal and then turning around and, and re-signing Mustakis, I mean, where would this team be without those two guys? Yelich certainly wouldn't have twenty-seven home runs, and the Brewers would not be six games over five hundred. That I know. But as is always with the Brewers, as long as I, you know, I guess as long as I've been alive. The question on this team is the starting pitching. And their their inability to just get any kind of deep quality starts out of these guys. And by deep, I'm just talking sixth, seventh inning. Sixth inning. I mean, these guys are getting yanked after three and a third, you know, four innings. That's just not good enough. You know, Chassin and, and Gio Gonzalez were on the injured list. Chassin came off. Uh, actually, he pitched pretty well the other night. Didn't get any run support. Lost two to nothing. Um, but again, he only went five. Um, you know, Davies and Woodruff have been solid, but now Davies in like his last three or four starts has has pitched really poorly. And you know, Woodruff was was decent again last night, giving up four runs. But again, he got no run support. Um, you know, Jimmy Nelson comes back, which is great. You know, really good feel feel good story. Um, you know, pitched okay in his first outing, gave up a, gave up some runs, I believe, in the fourth, and then kind of did the same thing again in his last outing against the Giants. He pitched well through four, and then he got there, and it just like he ran out of gas. So um, Anderson and Peralta, I don't know what to say about those two guys. You, you can't start Freddie Peralta. He's just much better as as a long reliever right now in this is this point in his career. It's kind of the same thing as Corbin Burns. Those guys just aren't ready to be starters. They don't have they don't have a third pitch. And Chase Anderson just I mean he just drives me nuts. He just drives me nuts. Can't keep the ball in the park. Seems like he's always got these little ticky tack injuries. The other day he about killed Shaw on a play on the infield. Just drives me nuts. I do think there's a trade, though, um, that, that they will make at some point. Um, two of their top prospects, Corey Ray, who was a first-round pick a couple years ago, and Mauricio Dubon, who's a very good middle infielder. Uh, I think both of those guys could be packaged in, in any trade deal. I don't think we'll ever see those guys in Brewer uniforms. Um, you know, the Baumgartner, Madison Baumgartner trade's kind of been floating out there since the winter. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that trade. I, I don't think he's anywhere close to what he used to be. Not sure that that kind of tough ass screaming at the other team personality works with this group of brewers. I think this is a pretty laid back, fun loving group of guys. 
and I'm not sure some red-assed pitcher is going to, you know, that's going to come in there and try to be Hulk Hogan is really going to endear itself to that team. You know, I mean, chemistry matters. Uh, Baumgartner's a nice pitcher, but I'm not sure he'd be worth what you'd have to give up. You know, if you got Will Smith back in that trade with the Giants, now you're talking about something. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. And, you know, and speaking of Baumgartner, this whole this whole thing he did with Max Muncie the other day where Muncie hits a home run and apparently he didn't run fast enough for Baumgartner and Baumgartner screaming at him and Muncie screaming back and it's his whole – baseball unwritten rules thing where you you don't look at your home run and i mean jesus it's just so stupid like if well if they're unwritten rules then somebody write this shit down like let's just get it written down put it set it in stone like if that's the thing then that's the thing but don't leave it up to this interpretation shit these guys just stand on the mound and try to act like tough guys and then the next thing you know the next guy in the batter's box is getting hit with a 95 mile per hour projectile on his spine I mean, what, like, what the hell is that? You know, I'm all for pitching high and tight, but, you know, when you're just going out there and drilling a guy because you perceive that you were disrespected, like, come on, man, kiss my ass. You're going to throw a projectile at me, I'm coming out with a bat. Just saying. So that's my rant on that for the day. How you like them apples? <sighs> Not much going on in football, kind of still the dead time. Just had OTAs. Um, one thing I did want to cover, well, two things, actually. Apparently the other day on Twitter, somebody hacked Brett Favre's, I think it was his Instagram, and put up a picture that said he was coming out of retirement and people lost their shit, which is hilarious. And with Favre, you just never know. I mean, I think the guy's like 49 or 50 or whatever, but like, I mean, would anybody be completely shocked if that guy just decided that he wanted to play this year? I, I, I wouldn't put it past him. Dude's a nut. But the the one I wanted to touch on was this this Aaron Rodgers, uh, Matt Lafleur story that's going around in the media, where supposedly Rodgers is is a little disgusted with the offense because he's not allowed to to do all of his audibles at the line. And, you know, LeFleur is trying to install his offense and he wants Rodgers to run the offense and doesn't want him to do all this audible stuff. And, um, you know, I was talking to Josh about it. And Josh, you know, of course, as the Packer fan that he is, poo-pooed it and, you know, ripped, you know, wanted to dismiss it based on the reporter that allegedly, quote unquote, broke the story, which is Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk, because him and Rodgers don't exactly get along. Um, But... Rogers did come out and address it, so obviously there is some um, there's some validity to the story. You know, Rogers basically said, you know, I've been doing this for 11 years. Do you really want to take that part of my game away? Because like, really, I'm one of only about five guys that's good enough to do that. Um, and I do see Rogers' point. I really do. I don't fault him for feeling that way. Um, but it's like, dude, like it's June. You just came out of your first OTAs. You got a 39-year-old first-time rookie head coach coming into the Green Bay Packers, replacing a Super Bowl-winning coach who has a street named after him and coaching the best player in the sport. And after your first OTAs, you're going to bitch about the offense? Really, man? Like, you can't wait. You couldn't wait until training camp started and maybe you go against some live competition and, and you see how it goes and and maybe once the offense is installed, he gives you a little more freedom as you go along. Like, like what? He's just not going to let Aaron Rodgers play football? Like, this is so stupid. You know, and this this is one of the things. We talked about it. Josh and I talked about it when Lafleur got hired. You know, the thing with Rodgers is, like, is he going to allow himself to be coached by this guy? And it appears so far he doesn't really want to. And, you know, there was that story that came out where allegedly Mark Murphy told Aaron Rodgers, don't be the problem. Well, here we are. You know, now I'm not saying that the Packers are going to go eight and eight because Rodgers and and LaFleur can't get along. But, you know, if you're a young guy on that team or you're just drafted on that team and you just get there and your quarterback is already coming out 
and going against your, your brand new head coach, like, what are you supposed to think? What kind of leadership is that? I just don't understand that. You know, the better thing to say if you're Rodgers was, you know, look, we're trying to install some new stuff. I know there's going to be some bumps in the road. Uh, we got plenty of time to iron it out. We don't play a game for four months. Um, you know, we'll get everything figured out in training camp and, and we'll be ready to roll when the season starts. Like, what? I just don't understand why that's so hard. I don't know. All right, well, a few of the different things I wanted to, you know, to do with the podcast was I, I didn't want to just, you know, do a, do a simple rundown of every team every single time. You know, we want to do that a lot of times, but, um, you know, sometimes I like to get into some other fun stuff, um, things that I think about sometimes and, and, and talk to buddies about. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw where J.J. Uh, Watt actually did an interview uh, with Brett Favre. And uh, Watt had, I think he tweeted out or put it out on Instagram. You know, it was kind of surreal for him. You know, like even though he's an all pro D end in the NFL, you know, Brett Favre is still that guy for him. He's still Brett Favre, the dude that you have a poster on your wall of. And to, to get to hang out with him and interview him was, was pretty cool. So, you know, it kind of got me thinking, you know, if, if you had an hour, and you could sit down with your childhood athletic hero or somebody in sports that's obviously still living that you could just sit down and have a conversation with, you know, uh, an honest conversation. I mean, you ain't going to ask OJ, did you really kill her? You ain't going to ask Mike, you know, he ain't going to tell you that. You, you ain't going to ask Michael Jordan, did David Stern kick you out of the league in 94? Like, he ain't going to answer that. But, you know, just a normal one-on-one -on -one interview for an hour. Who would it be? So I, I sent it out to to some listeners and some friends, and the responses were pretty interesting. I got a pretty wide variety. I just wanted to share. Um, I had a Bob Euchre, of course, um, for our, our, our tennis fans. We had a Roger Federer, uh, of course, Jordan, Larry Bird, Kobe, Barkley, of course. Um, one of our female listeners had Alex Morgan uh, of the Women's National Soccer Team. Um, Golf, of course, Tiger, Jack Nicholas, John Daly got thrown in there, Mike Tyson. Um, I had a couple Favs, uh, Jeremy Roenick, OJ, and Pete Rose. Um, so it was kind of kind of interesting to just get a little feedback on that, see what people thought. Um, curiously, no Aaron Rodgers. Uh, most of the Packer fans that I talked to, they they were they went the Favre route. Um, you know, me personally, it, it might be Barkley. Um, you know, maybe magic. Because I, I want to hear the stories. I want to hear the old war stories. I'm not too interested in, like, you know, why Charles Barkley spit on that little girl <laughs> that one time in Philadelphia or whatever. Like, I, I want to hear about the Dream Team. I don't, I don't really care about that other stuff. Um, so if you got any ideas, anybody that you would have liked to have done that with, you know, tweet at me. Hit me up on Facebook, whatever. Let me know. Just be kind of curious as to kind of what people think. So another thing, lastly, and this might be kind of long because, you know, in my time away from doing the podcast, I wasn't just sitting on my ass. I was actually doing some stuff and I did some research and I went back a little bit. And if anybody that knows me knows that I'm a, I'm a big history buff, um, you know, especially World War One, World War Two era you know, modern American history stuff. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that kind of believes that like to understand where we are and where we're going, you kind of got to look at where we've been. Um, I guess I'm just kind of nostalgic in that way. So with the Bucks season coming to an abrupt end, it kind of, you know, it was disappointing obviously, but, you know, after a couple of weeks of, of, just kind of sitting back and reflecting a little bit, it, it kind of puts some things in perspective. So I went back and I kind of made a Bucks timeline for you. And we're going to go through it here. It's a little long, bear with me. I'll try to keep it, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. Um, I don't think I can talk any more than that. But uh, just some pretty interesting stuff. So let's go back to the 2012-2013 season. 
Scott Skiles is the coach. Midway through the season, gets fired. Jim Boylan is the interim head coach. Bucks finished the season 38-44 and 44 and grabbed the eighth seed in the East. And play the Heatles. Miami Heat, who they are promptly swept by 4-0. And the starters in that game for the Bucks: Brandon Jennings, Monte Ellis, Luke Bamute, Ursan, and Larry Sanders. And coming off the bench was the newly acquired J.J. Redick and Mike Dunleavy. That is a terrible team that somehow made the playoffs at six games under 500. That tells you how shitty the East was that the Bucks made the playoffs six games under 500. So April 28th, the season ends. They fire Jim Boylan. And May 31st, they hire Larry Drew. So Monte Ellis is a free agent. Uh, he opted out of his deal. He had one year and $11 million left. The Bucks offer Ellis two-year $24 million, And he turns it down and signs with Dallas. And thank God that he did not sign with the Bucks because two years later, Monte Ellis was out of the NBA. Um, Ten days later, after losing Ellis, on June 27th, with the 15th pick, they draft Giannis. And I remember that draft specifically. Because when they picked him, the only time I had ever seen his name was when I had, like, downloaded a draft class off the internet for, like, NBA 2K14 or whatever the hell it was, 13. That was the only time I had ever seen the name. I never knew. I didn't know anything about him. I just knew he was from Greece. And uh, so they draft Giannis. Um, July 31st, they they pull off a kind of a low-key steel trade. They trade Brandon Jennings to Detroit for Brandon Knight and a throw-in. And that throw-in player happens to be Chris Middleton. Um, and then at the end of the summer that year, the Bucks give Larry Sanders a four-year, $44 million deal. Yeah. So they were giving him $11 million a year. And at that time, the NBA salary cap was $63 million. I think this year it was like 110 108 something like that. So to give Larry Sanders $11 million out of 63, that's a pretty big chunk for all you math majors out there. So that's the squad going into the 13-14 season. You got Brandon Knight, Middleton, Giannis, Larry Sanders, Urson, new coach in Larry Drew, and they proceed to go 15-67, and 67, a franchise worst. It is the season from hell. Two months after giving Larry Sanders the big four-year deal, he breaks his hand in a bar fight and misses 25 games. This is just kind of a precursor. He comes back in February, plays six games, breaks the orbital bone in his face, and is done for the year. Then, with about two weeks left in the season, he's suspended for five games for weed. So the Bucks just paid Larry Sanders $11 million that season to get in a bar fight, break his face, and get high. It's a... It's not a very good investment for Senator Cole. April 17th, though, of that, that 2014 uh, season was a good day. Edens and Lazary bought the Bucks from Herb Cole for $550 million. It franchised it is now currently worth over a billion. So, yes, in five years, those guys have already doubled their money. And at the press conference, Herb Cole pledges $100 million to the new arena which the new owners say they will match. A couple months later, June 26, Bucks have the number two pick in the draft. They get Jabari Parker. Now everybody's thinking, okay. Saw a little bit from Middleton and Knight last year. Good, good, solid NBA players. This Giannis kid might be something, showed some flashes. Now we got the number two pick in the draft, Jabari Parker, who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated in high school. Was kind of dubbed the next great thing. Here we go. Well, the next day they hold a press conference introducing Jabari. New ownership's there. General manager John Hammond, head coach Larry Drew. They do the spiel. Everybody's smiling. Everything's all nicey-nicey. Two days later, Bucks fire Larry Drew. One day later, behind John Hammond's back, the general manager, the new ownership hires Jason Kidd. Which is their prerogative to do as owners, but that's just not really how you do business. 
And so begins the Jason Kidd era with the Bucks. Starts out good. New season starts. A lot of optimism. 25th game into the season at Phoenix. Jabari Parker tears his ACL out for the season. Eight days later, Larry Sanders leaves the Bucks for good. He will later quit the league, and the Bucks will be on the hook to pay him about $5 million for the next a year for the next four years. Uh, February 19th of that season, Bucks are seven games over 500. They're the sixth seed in the East, playing way over their heads. They've already doubled their win total from the year before, and they trade Brandon Knight to Phoenix. Isaiah Thomas goes to the Celtics, and the Bucks receive Michael Carter Williams. Not great. Bucks end up going 41 and 41, get the sixth seed, lose in six games to the Bulls in the first round. Um, but the season was was uh, was a good one. You really saw a lot, a lot, a lot of improvement from Giannis and Middleton. They really started to show some things. And you saw Giannis and you thought, man, this dude's 19. He might be really good in a couple of years. So the 15-16 season rolls around. And the Bucks draft Rashad Vaughn at number 17. Another, It was a, the first of a couple of Jason Kidd specials. Rashad Vaughn was terrible. Never, from the first day I saw him, you knew that guy wasn't going to stick in the league. Uh, but a big thing happened that summer on July 9th. They signed Greg Monroe to a three or $45 million deal, which was a big, big thing for the Bucks. Big deal for the new owners. Um, Greg Monroe was a pretty sought-after uh, commodity that summer. The Knicks had uh, thrown a lot of money at him. And he decided to go to the Bucs at a time when, you know, the Bucs were coming off a, a playoff season, but, you know, we're certainly not looked at as a, as a contender by any means. Um, so getting him was a very, very big feather in their cap. Um, unfortunately, a couple weeks later, they make a disastrous trade. Uh, the Bucs trade the rights to Norman Powell and a first-round pick to Toronto for Grievous Vasquez. And, yes, that Norman Powell that continuously made shots against the Bucs in the playoffs this season. Um, you know, they end up going 33 and 49. They, they regress um, from the previous year. Jabari does come back from the knee injury, plays pretty much the whole year. Uh, it's really the, it's the only season we ever got of, of Parker, Giannis, and Middleton all together for, for really a full season. And it didn't go well. It did not go well. So we head into the 16-17 season. The Bucks draft Thon at number 10, and they draft Brogdon at 36 in the second round, who goes on to be the Rookie of the Year. Uh, that summer, they wildly overpay Matthew Delvadova, four-year, $36 million, a Jason Kidd special. And they signed Mirza Toledovic to a three-year, $30 million deal, another Jason Kidd special for when he coached the Nets. Um, thankfully, in October, in training camp, the Bucks figured out that Michael Carter-Williams sucked. So they traded him to the Bulls for Tony Snell. And Snell ends up being a starter for the Bucks, which ended up being a good trade. Um, unfortunately, in February again, almost two years to the day, Jabari Parker tears his ACL again. And at that point, as a Buck fan, you kind of just knew that it's not going to happen for him. It's not going to happen for him on this team. Um, because in the meantime, while Jabari is tearing his knees up, Giannis is becoming a superstar, and it has now become his team. Um, Bucks go 42-40, and 40, get to six seed again, uh, play the Raptors in the first round, are up 2-1 to one in the series, and end up losing three in a row. Kind of a common theme with this, this little rivalry they got with the Raptors. Um, but all in all, a good season, a good step forward for the Bucks and Giannis. Um, he, he really kind of established himself as a star in the making. Um, 19, uh, 17, 18 bucks hire John Horst and draft DJ Wilson, number 17, which was a questionable pick at the time. Um, certainly did not have a very good first year, uh, but did, did show some signs this year. Um, they extended Tony Snell on a four year, $44 million deal. And there's that number again, four year, 44 million, um, a, a, a definite overpay. Um, but I'll give John Horst a break. It was his first, it was his first deal. Um, and it was a bad one, but the next one, the next couple that he does were, were pretty golden. Um, early November, they trade Greg Monroe in a first round pick to Phoenix for Bledsoe. And that was a steal 
Greg Monroe really has no place in the NBA anymore with his skill set. He just he's too big and slow, can't shoot, can't guard anybody. So getting Bledsoe for basically a first round pick that ended up being, I don't know, twenty last year, not a big deal. Um and then last January, surprisingly, the Bucks are twenty three and twenty two and John Horse has the stones to fire Jason Kidd. Which was very shocking to me at the time. I didn't think the guy had it in him. Uh, but he did. Joe Prunty becomes the interim head coach for the rest of the season. Bucks go, you know, 21 and 16 the rest of the regular season, get to the first round of the playoffs, and lose to Boston in seven. And that brings you to this year. You know, you hire Budenholzer, great hire. Draft Dante DiVincenzo. Eh, we'll see. Was hurt all year. Not sure he's. Not sure he's a, a rotational player on a playoff team, but we'll see. Um, and then last July, the, the lopez Urson signings on July 17th were huge. And it changed everything. Um, August 1st, they signed Pat Connaughton, who was a very under-the-radar guy, but ended up being a really nice player for them this year, and I think next year is going to be even more of a factor. Um, and then, of course, the big thing this year, the Fiserv Forum finally opens and kind of ushers in a new era of Bucks basketball. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's been a long journey the last last six years. They've come a long way. I mean, to go from a team that's starting Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis in a playoff series against Miami on a team that was six games under 500 to a team that won 60 games and was on the brink of the NBA Finals this year, that's a, that's a pretty significant turnaround for this franchise. Um, so big things to come, big things to come, hopefully with them and with the podcast, um, you know, going to try to put out something once a week, try to get back in the normal routine. I hope this one wasn't too boring. I know I went a little long winded with this one, but you know, hopefully you found at least some of it, some of the timeline stuff interesting. Um, let me know, give me a shout out at Dan Saunders 104 on Twitter, or you can hit me up on Facebook as well. Um, and like I said, I'm going to try to try to do something, maybe do one thing a little differently going forward. Um, I have I have talked to a, a couple of people about coming on and being being some guests, um, you know, just talking, just shooting the shooting the breeze about some sports. Um, I got to get another microphone to do that, so I'm working on that. We'll see what happens as the summer goes on. But uh, yeah, we uh, we certainly appreciate you guys sticking with us. And by we, I do mean Josh. Still, he's still in the mix. He's still producing. Um, you know, hopefully, as I've said many times, we'll get him back. Maybe once football starts and, and sports kind of ramp up again, we'll let him do let him do dad duty this summer and hang out with the kiddos. That's cool. But um, but yeah, I think that's all we got for this episode of the Intentional Foul. Hit me up. Keep listening. Subscribe where you can, and we will see you down the road. <laughs>